I want that CD. By, es- my, by my estimates, that was flawless. What instrument is that? Exactly what I wanted everybody to know in here that didn't know. It's an oboe. One of the exciting things about being in the body of Christ is you never know what kind of gifts and talents Christ has packed in individuals that come in and out of your lives. You guys are packed with talent and we appreciate that. What a blessing it is. God be praised. Well, we're in Matthew's Passion, Matthew's Gospel, and we have made it to chapter 27. Chapter 28 is the very last chapter, so we are very near the end. But before Matthew takes us into the glorious light and the hope of the resurrection, he takes us down into the oppressive darkness, evil and wickedness of the happenings of man's heart. And nobody has been untouched by this. We saw evil rise up in Jesus' good friend, if not best friend, Peter who denied that he ever even knew him to save his own neck. And we saw Satan enter into Judas, and Judas betrayed his friend Jesus. We saw the gruesome ending to how that evil ate Judas up to the point where he felt he was so cursed beyond redemption. And we found him hanging at the end of a rope, the work of evil. And then at the end of our last sermon, we began to just scratch the surface and the underlying evil in the hearts of the Jewish leaders. They are bent on it. And by way of just quick review, everything that they are doing really is unlawful. They whisked Jesus away, bound him, whisked him away at night to try him. Who would want to be tried in the darkness of night? It's unlawful by the Jewish law. Also, he was tried in the house of the high priest Caiaphas. Not supposed to have trials there. Uh, They did their very best to bring false accusations, but they were so phony they didn't stick until finally they asked him outright, are you the Messiah? And he said, I am the son of God. And they called that blasphemy. That's not true. That it's blasphemy because it's true that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. To everything about this whole process, Matthew wants us to see it's just all wrong, wrong, wrong. And then Judas, when he came to them and confessed, look, I'm a false witness. Take the money back. It's blood money. I lied to you. Even by their own admission, they're guilty. Of doing wrong because they acknowledged that the 30 pieces of silver was indeed blood money. In other words, money to take the life of an innocent man. Not to mention the fact that by Jewish law, when new evidence, just like in our day, thank goodness, when new evidence is introduced into a trial, it needs to be retried. It needs to be considered under that light. Their words to Judas as he was eaten up with his own guilt, in essence, Where I do not care. What is that to me? Because they are on a mission. They're bloodthirsty. Jesus is their enemy. They're losing their grip on the power over the people. And they saw how he was, how good he was with the people. And it threatened them. And so they want him 
gone. This morning, we will continue the trial of Jesus and we'll continue to just look at the evil and and the different manifestations of evil in the Jewish leaders' hearts. And one of the greatest manifestations, you're already aware of it, is hypocrisy. And sometimes I just read this and I think, how in the world could someone be so blind? If you think about the hypocrisy, we saw it in the money. Because after Judas threw the money in the temple, they said, we can't put this back in the treasury. Why? Because it's defiled and far be it from me to break the law and defile the temple treasury. Who defiled it? They did. It's just one act of extreme hypocrisy. After another. And incidentally, when we open our passage this morning, they're going to be before Pilate. And uh, they have called Pilate to them because they won't go into Pilate's quarters. Because it's the Passover and he's a Gentile. And it will make them ceremonially unclean. So you see, you know, Jesus would get harsh sometimes and John the Baptist as well. Those harsh words against the Pharisees. And sometimes you almost quench and think, wow, I'm not used to Jesus talking like that. But you understand when we look at what they're doing and we look at how they, they, they don't want to defile themselves externally. And yet they are defiling every commandment in their own hearts. In other words, they're going to kill an innocent man, but they won't touch money and they won't go near a Gentile because then they'll be defiled. That's how blind evil has made them. So we're going to continue to look at the trial of Jesus. They bring him. They've tried him at night. Darkness, all illegal. But I will give him this much. They did wait. Uh, Jewish law says that trials must be in daylight. So they're not done sneakily behind the scenes to make sure they're just. As soon as the sun comes up, they have their own little so-called trial uh, of their own. To make it legal on the outside. It wasn't really a trial. They just looked at each other and said, is he guilty or not? Yeah, he's guilty. Then, after they determine that, we pick it up and they bring him to Pilate. They want Pilate to deal with him. Why do they want Pilate to deal with him? Because they are under Roman rule. Pax Romana. And they can't do everything they want. Just like when Peter pulled out the sword and Jesus said, put back your sword... The sword represents military might and justice. The one that wields the sword is the one that is executes the justice and the power and the might. And so they are under uh, have to submit themselves to Roman rule and Roman law. Now, there are times that they skirt this and like they've stoned Stephen and so forth. And I think if there's any way they thought they could get away with killing Jesus on their own and not look bad doing it, they would have done it. So they're desperate. They want to go through the proper channels. So they present him to Pilate in the hopes and really the determination that the Romans will play the executioners. So let's follow Matthew's account of the Jewish, the the hearts and the actions of the Jewish rulers and Pilate as well, the Roman ruler in that region. We're in chapter 27 of the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to begin with verses 11 through 13. Now, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, 
You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge. So that the governor was greatly amazed. So we begin with just a short dialogue between Jesus now and Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answers with that phrase we're already familiar with. You have said so. We learned he said these same words to Judas. We learned what this phrase means. In essence, it means you already know the answer to your own question. Your words betray your heart. Because your heart knows the truth. You're asking me this rhetorically. But your heart knows the truth. Knows the answer to this. And therefore you are accountable to what your own heart is telling you. Is true. That's what's behind that phrase. And in fact Pilate does know. That this whole thing is wrong. We'll read in verse 18. That he realizes. you know, he's, He may be a pagan. But he's a politician. And he's a ruler. And he's wise in the world and he sees that this whole thing is wrong. He sees what the Jews are doing in verse 18. We'll read it. He knows that it's all out of envy. There's no justice. There's no rightness. There's no evidence or hard facts of this. It's just evil hearts wanting competition gone. He gets it. He sees it. He knows that in his own heart. I don't know. Uh, I don't know all of what he knows is going on here, but we know that much for sure. And so He's fishy about the whole thing, even a pagan. And he's really wishing he wasn't in this position because he is in a very vulnerable position between representing Rome and representing the people that he rules over, the Jews. This whole thing kind of catches him off guard. It catches him off guard because... As a ruler that has judged or made very uh, uttered very many verdicts, he notices that this isn't the usual trial because Jesus isn't even defending himself. Now, if you've been in court, you'll know that most people are innocent. That's just kind of what happens. And there's at least a justification for something. And there, an accusation after accusation is flying at Jesus, and he is just not going there. Pilate's not used to seeing somebody accused of such things, especially when he, he's like, I know these aren't true, and yet you're not even saying a word. It was prophesied in Isaiah, that like a lamb before his shears, the Messiah, the spotless lamb, he goes. It's not just that he's being taken, but he is willingly there. That's a part of the plan of Redemption. I got to kind of borrow from other gospels to get the whole picture chronologically. Pilate's already pronounced Jesus innocent. He's already found no fault in him. And he sees that he's in this predicament. I'll explain more later. He wants to get out of being in this position. He comes up with this great idea like politicians do. Herod is also a ruler. Herod also happens to be in town for the Passover. And he kind of, you know, he rules over, those are his people. And so he has his guards bring Jesus to Herod, hoping maybe Herod will find something and Herod will take over the situation to get him out of it. 
And so Jesus is taken to Herod, the Jews, the whole way. They follow him there. They follow him back. They're making accusations. But Herod finds nothing on him either. Herod just has fun with him for a little while, makes sport of him, mocks him and so forth. But then he's just like, you know, as far as justice goes, there's nothing on you. So he sends him back to Pilate. So Pilate did not get out of uh, the situation that he's in. So he's intrigued by all this. How far will the Jews will the Jews take it? And why is this man not defending himself? Now, I don't know about you. I mean, it, but that would be hard. Like I got in trouble sometimes when I was young and I got accused for it. Most time I denied it. I didn't do it, whether it was mom or dad or whatever. Of course, you deny it. But boy, if you blame me for something I didn't do, you were going to hear it. And I think it's kind of human nature. And yet there's Jesus, quiet. Verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner card called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who was called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy. There it is. That they had delivered him up. Now here's Pilate's predicament. It's his job to execute justice. And it's his job to keep peace in his domain. The problem is he's being worked and he's being manipulated. Because he realizes Jesus is innocent. And in order to enact justice... He's going to tick off the Jewish people and there's not going to be peace. So he is being put in a situation where he needs to maintain both justice and peace, but they're not allowing him to. He can't. Jesus is innocent. He doesn't want to be guilty. He wants no parts of condemning an innocent man. But if he lets if he just pronounces him innocent, he realizes the hatred and the vehemence in the Jews. There'll be an uprising. There'll be some kind of riot. So in a sense, he's in a no-win situation. He's under enormous pressure. And there's history to this pressure. Just to give you an idea of what's going on here and who's working who. When Pilate, about two decades ago, actually was appointed in this position... Like some new bosses or rulers or whatever want to do. He wants to exert his power over the people that he's ruling. He wants to let them know who's boss. And so the way he does that is he gets his soldiers and he rides into Jerusalem in pomp and circumstance to show this is who you're messing with. Don't cross me. I'm the new ruler. So forth. And his soldiers are carrying the banners of Rome. And on the top of the poles that carry the banners is an image of Caesar. Now, the Romans worship Caesar's Caesar as a god. And that would make that image a graven image. It would make it an idol. And so what Pilate did, now the other rulers before Pilate had done their homework and had enough sense not to enter into Jerusalem with idols because the Jewish people would go ballistic but not Pilate. That's what he does. So obviously there's an uprising. There's, there's a protest. 
Jewish leaders who are like, you can get out. You got to get these images out of our holy city. This is not right. We cannot have this. And during their, they were chastised, as you will recall, the history of redemption. They were in Babylon for about 70 years for worshiping idols. They had this terrible habit, but God broke it. And now they want nothing to do with idols and they cannot be in the city. So they're protesting, protesting, protesting. They follow Pilate all the way back to his where his um, residence was in Caesarea, protesting, protesting, protesting. Get, we don't want these idols in our city. So finally, Pilate gets the bright idea. I'll fix you. And he says, we're going to have a meeting in the amphitheater. His plan is to get them into the amphitheater, which works. Then he surrounds the amphitheater with soldiers. And he says, if you do not stop protesting, I will cut your throats. So there they are trapped. And what do the Jewish people do? They pull their cloaks down and they bare their throats. And they say, you go ahead and cut them. They call his bluff. So here he is, this brand new ruler. He's got people trapped. They're defenseless. If he massacres them, there will be the start of another war. Obviously, the Jewish people won't put up with that. He's supposed to be keeping peace. They called his bluff and he said, OK, I'll get rid of the idols. So you see, there's history here. That's just one example. Another example, I think about 10 years later, he realizes Jerusalem needs a better source of water. So to fund this project, he takes the money from the temple treasury. That didn't go over well. There were uprisings again. Only this time, he went into the middle of the crowd. He had his soldiers club them and beat them and stab them. And enough people were die died to where the crowds dispersed. But there's just this animosity, this on and off kind of relationship here. And then the last example was when... Um, he had new shields for his soldiers crafted. And on these shields, once again, was an image of the Caesar, Tiberius. And uh, they're in, of course, they're in the temple because they have to keep, and in Jerusalem because they're charged with keeping peace. That did not sit well with the Jewish people, except this time, not only did they protest, but they sent word to Tiberius. Our city is in an uproar. Pilate has brought idols, false idols into our city. Tiberius sends word, Pilate, you need to get rid of those shields. So they went over his head. So you see, there's this, this is politics. We see this stuff, we read in the news every day. Power struggles. So even though the Jews are underneath Pilate, and in fact, Pilate could have, at any time during this trial, understand he could have sent his soldiers into the crowd and dispersed them and said, look, justice is justice. This man is innocent. It's my job to uphold justice. So you just have to get over it. But he chose not to. Because in his position, not only might he lose his job, but he might be the one to lose his head. So there is... This situation Pilate finds him in and he does not self and he does not like it. As they're kind of dangling some things over him. The point is he is stuck. 
Who do I please? I can't please the emperor. I can't please the Jews. I can't enact justice without making a mess out of this. Let me read another um, passage. So he tried to get rid of the case by sending him to Herod. That didn't work. He comes back. Jesus comes back. Luke 23. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Now, I think this is interesting, too, because people are trying their hardest. The powers to be are trying their very hardest to come up with Anything they can that will stick on Jesus. Now, even among his good friends, there's nothing. People that he lived with, there's nothing. None of this. Well, actually, I remember. And then among the mobs, there's nothing legitimate. And among the rulers, with the court cases, and among Herod, and among the court of Rome, there is nothing that they can find. Legitimately against Jesus, which just communicates, and I think that's Matthew's point in this passage, two things. But one is, Jesus is completely innocent. So what's happening here is absurd. Because nobody can find any dirt on him. Absolutely blameless. But Pilate is trapped. So he comes up with another idea. You know, minds always turning, wheels always turning. How can I get out of this? Well, it's Passover. The Romans are, of course, in control, but as a gesture of mercy, as a gesture of goodwill to their subjects during Passover, they agreed to release a prisoner to the people if the, if the people so choose. That's a, it's, a, I guess, an exercise of goodwill. Hey, it's not so bad to be under a rule, right? We do some things, right? Now, of course, he has something in mind here because the prisoner that happens to be captive at this time facing execution is Barabbas. And the text says he is a notorious criminal. So word had a way of getting around even in that day. And everybody knew Barabbas was bad news. He was he was a, um, a murderer. He was a thief. He was a plunderer. Uh, he was an extortionist, an insurrectionist. Pretty much he had tattoos, piercings and vaped. Pretty much everything that you could picture about this guy. He was bad news. And so Pilate's setting this up very wisely. He's working the crowds. Now, who would you want? This guy, he's... I mean, come on, moms. Would you want this guy walking the streets with your children? He's a murderer. He's, and, and the evidence, I mean, this, there's not even any doubt about this. He's notorious for this. You surely you don't want him back on the streets. So do you want this crim, hardened criminal or Jesus? He hasn't even spoken a word the whole time he's been up here. He has done nothing wrong. Nobody could even find any dirt on him at all. If there's no, you can't even get any safer than this guy. It's a no-brainer, right? 
So Pilate has found himself finally a way out of this predicament. Verse 17. Who do you want? Barabbas or Jesus, who's called the Christ. It's a no-brainer. He is playing the crowds. And while he's playing the crowds, something very interesting, something very strange, some may even say providential happens. He's ruling as judge, dressing the crowds, I guess in his portico. And then there's an interruption. In the middle of this intense, important trial, I'll just ad lib ad lib a little bit. Honey, baby, can we have a word? Babes, can we have a word? Can you I, I need to speak to you? And in real life, in history, right in the Gospels, his wife wants to talk to him. She is very, very troubled. She's troubled in her gut. She also, though she's a pagan, she is sensing some this, this is not right. To the point where she was given a dream. She had a dream. And we don't know about the details of this dream. But in this dream was like, get away. Have nothing to do with not just this man, but this righteous man. That's what that's the dream she's having. And so. She wants to talk to her husband about this. It's strong enough. It's wrong enough. If there's such a thing as right in the world, there's such a thing as wrong in the world. She's like, this is not right. This is wrong. We, you got to stand down, honey. Now, all the husbands in this room know that that should have been the end of it right there. Verse 19, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. She is torn up about this. So not only is he innocent according to the legal process, uh, not only is he innocent according to Pilate's own conscience, but he is also innocent by his wife's standards. She wants him to stand down and not go through with it. Now, what's so interesting about this is while all this conversation is going on in the middle of this trial, before Pilate left his place, he had good momentum going on. Like he was working the crowd and he gave them a no-brainer situation. And while this conversation was going on, by the time he gets back to his place, already things have changed. Because while he was going, he was gone, the Jewish leaders were working the crowds themselves. And they were planting seeds among the people and getting them riled up, of course, probably telling lies, reminding them of the false accusations. And what they did was very, very effective. And in just that short amount of time, that providential time, the whole tide, the people had changed. And now they were as one and they did not land where Pilate wanted them to land. Now, 
they wanted blood as well. Verse 20, the chief priests, the elders, persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Incredible. So they used their powers of persuasion to work the crowds, twisting things, polluting their minds. And now they all want blood. The so-called people of God in the so-called holy city are now in unity crying out for the blood of Jesus Christ. Pilate is beside himself. It's, I mean, you just see, you can see this picture, this trial going on. He's beside himself. He cannot believe that they would make this choice. He says in 22, then what should I do with Jesus who is called Christ? It's almost like, are you serious with your decision? Do you realize what you're doing? He doesn't go down easy. And what's their answer? So what shall I do with Jesus? Let him be crucified. Again, verse 23, he says, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more. Let him be crucified. This is the people that they don't want justice. They just want blood. And their minds are made up. And that's one of the reasons that Jesus is silent. He, they already made, gave the verdict. Words are very important to Jesus. He does not waste them. And he knows it doesn't matter what he says. Their minds are already made up, the Jewish leaders. And now the crowd's minds are made up. It's not about truth. It's not about justice. Arguments don't come into play here. And so Jesus was quiet. They want blood. And so Pilate now, in this position, he has to choose, what am I going to do? Am I going to stand for justice or am I going to keep the peace? Verse 24, so when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Five times Pilate announces Christ is innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. He cares more about justice than Jesus' own people. And he knows he's innocent. He couldn't get out of the situation. So the best thing that he can do is say, okay, I see where this is headed. But just so you know, this isn't on me. I wash my hands on. You've put me in this position. Now, I don't know if Pilate realized what he was doing. It's possible. But this is actually what you would do according to Jewish law. In Deuteronomy, where we find all the crazy Jewish practices and laws in chapter 21. Murder, of course, is a big deal. It breaks a commandment of God. God holds justice in high value. He holds innocence in high value. And in his economy, you don't get away with crimes, especially murder. 
God can hear innocent blood cry from the ground. You'll recall Cain, um, when Cain slew Abel. God approached him like, almost like I can't stop. He, there's this loud cry of innocent blood from the ground. In other words, some justice is out of balance and something has to be done. And they had laws against this. Now, the priests in that day, they were more than just priests. They were leaders and rulers, elders. They were the law, even the civil law. So what would happen if they found a person that had been murdered? They would go to the nearest town, um, the nearest uh, headship of that town, and they would actually have to do an investigation. So NCIS or whatever that... I mean, like what we see, this is... um, They would... They were charged with trying to solve the mystery of the murder because you just can't kill people and get away with it. They were given that charge. So they would look into it. They would investigate the best they can. But as we know, in our day and age, you can't always find the perpetrator. the, The facts and the evidence don't always lead to the end that you want. And today we have many, many unsolved cases. So what God instructed them to do when they've tried their best, they were to try their best because this is very serious and very important. But if you've if you've exhausted all your resources and it's just not there, then you go and you break the neck of a heifer and you pour water and you wash your hands clean. And what you're symbolizing is, look, I I did my best to try to bring justice into this, but I, I couldn't do it. And so I'm not guilty I'm not guilty here. And in essence, that's what Pilate is trying to communicate. I'm not guilty of this innocent blood. You would like to think it would get better, but the evil just sinks itself even deeper into our hearts. And we hear absolutely chilling words from the mob. Jesus has been saying all along things like this. Talk about how, how cold can a heart be? He said you to the Pharisees um, previously when he was a free man, you follow rules, but your hearts are far from me. How far are their hearts from him? They're whitewashed walls, clean on the outside, dead on the inside. They don't lead people to God. They lead people away from Him and place unbearable burdens on them. Didn't we just witness that happen among the mobs? Now you see, perhaps you understand the harsh words of Jesus when He confronted the Jewish leaders at times. Now listen to these chilling words in verse 25. When Pilate said, you know, what, what am I to do with this innocent man? All the people answered after, of course, he washed his hands. His blood be on us and our children. In other words, if there's any guilt, if there's any liability, culpability, and what just fell off of your hands, it's on us. We'll take it. If we're guilty before, we'll we'll take it and our children. It's on them too. Man. That's the nation. Is it any wonder that Israel has been under the chastening hand of God? To the point where even 
the Apostle Paul just grieves over their lostness. And how far they are from God. And he says, if I could take it for you, I would. But I can't. Their hearts are so veiled. That they see their friend and their God as her enemy. And bring guilt even on their children. I remember, and I'm sure perhaps some of you do. I think it was in 2004. The Passion, the movie by The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. Um, there was a lot of attention. That movie got a lot of attention. First of all, because it made so much money. And it actually was so popular and people couldn't understand why. But there was also controversy because... Um, in that movie, it really looked like the Jewish leaders were responsible for the death of Christ. And it was hailed as anti-Semitic. Uh, people didn't like that. And even the Pope had to weigh in on that. And he basically says, it is as it was. In other words, that's how it happened. And to call this anti-Semitic is to... Go against what the Gospels share. They took that responsibility, full responsibility on their own hands. Yeah, the Romans were complicit, of course. The Romans weren't guilty. As a matter of fact, everybody bears guilt in the death of Christ. All of humanity is guilty. In Acts 2.22... Peter stood up to preach. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Of course, this was after the crucifixion and the resurrection before the Spirit came, after the Spirit came back. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And the Jews in that day, they didn't like this because they said, stop preaching that message. You're saying that we're responsible for his blood. Stop preaching this message. They had already forgotten the charge, already forgotten the guilt that they had taken upon themselves. And they said that in Acts 5, we strictly charge you not to teach in his name. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They brought it upon themselves. Chilling. And yet you think about not long after this, as Jesus hung on the cross, out of his mouth come the words, Father, forgive them. Whew. I mean, the, the very... Blood that they spilled is the blood that they need. And the blood that God offers for the forgiveness of sins. It's a reminder. We'll wind it down. Two main things here. I think Matthew makes very clear. Jesus is just the epitome of innocence. I mean, man, sinful man, did their best to taint him and they could not do it. He is the epitome of innocence. And man is wicked and stands guilty before a holy God. 
So the blood of Christ is on the Jews and the Romans were complicit and we were complicit in what way? The wages of sin, Romans 3.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. A crime against God is a crime against God. And the penalty is death. And who has not broken a law? Maybe not to that severity, but you see all mankind is guilty. We have all transgressed. Christ died for those sins. So we can at least take away those two things. And then lastly, this idea. Now, look how dark things are. Could it could the world get any darker? Actually, it, it can. But you have to wait just, I think, till next week to see that it literally gets darker. But anyway, can it get any morally darker than this? And yet, what is it but God's plan? So... Mankind throws as much evil as he can into the world. He manifests it. He lets he lets the leash go and gives evil free reign. And yet really what's happening is God is in perfect control and the light is going to shine. Forgiveness is offered. God has a plan. Yes, for the people that are blood guilty, the Jews. We read about that in Romans. In the end, they shall be saved. God offers forgiveness to all those that have transgressed. And the very blood that cries against the guilt, when we make Jesus Lord in our hearts, cries for us in our defense to spare us from the wrath that we deserve. So we can have the blood crying from the ground of our guilt. Or we can have Jesus, our mediator. Making our case for us, because when we bowed our knee and humbly repented of our sin and hailed him as the king he is. He forgives us and he clothes us with his righteousness. The wrath of God removed. The blood cries for us or the blood cries against us. I think it's verse 22. What will you do with this man, Jesus Christ? We all have to answer that. May God give us the grace to answer that question in a way that leads to salvation and redemption of our souls. May God bless the preaching of his word.